I'm going to read a uh, portion of scripture. In Colossians chapter 3, it says, Since then, uh, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ appears, who is your life, or when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. And we're going to take a moment uh, to use this passage to allow God to speak to us. We do, uh, uh, God is a God who speaks, and He loves to speak to us um, if we're willing to listen. And one of the easiest places to hear God's voice is through Scripture. Um, he speaks through Scripture. He loves to expand our hearts as we read Scripture. And so as I read this again, uh, just ask yourself, what uh, verse or what word or what phrase do you feel God is highlighting to you? What word or verse or phrase do you feel He's highlighting to you? Uh, Since then you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. So what word or phrase is He highlighting to you? Now, if you've got that word or phrase, I'm going to read it one more time, and this time I'm going to give you a bit of time after I read it. And just uh, open your heart and say, God, what are you saying to me uh, through this word? What are you saying to me through this verse? What are you saying to me uh, through that which he highlights? Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Just uh, take a moment to allow God to speak that verse or word into your heart a little bit. more time. And this time, uh, ask, is there something that God is specifically telling you to do or to become? Is there a step that He wants you to take uh, when it comes to this verse or word? Since you have been raised with Christ, since uh, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Uh, Just listen, if God is putting a specific heart, uh, step, or uh, something He wants you to become, 
uh, just listen to that and then seal it with a prayer. Just say, God, would you help me in this? Would you uh, give me guidance? Whatever it might be, just seal whatever he's saying to you with a prayer. Jesus, we thank you that you are our life. And while we can get happiness and joy from various things in this world, God, uh, you are where we really derive our true life from. And so, God, I continue to pray that you would help us to uh, just to place ourselves fully into your hands. Uh, God, that we would derive our full identity from you and all that richness and, and life that you have. God, may we be people who continually connect ourselves into you, that we may walk in a more full and abundant life. So we thank you for what you've done so far and this week. We thank you for what you're going to do in the rest of this service. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, and the rest of us, uh, we've been working through the book of Ephesians. Almost done, his book, a little bit more. We have uh, this week, and then next week we get into the uh, whole section on spiritual warfare, which is going to be awesome. We are getting close to Halloween, so I guess it's fitting, yeah. <laughs> Today we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the kingdom of God and uh, our career, and we're going to do a little bit of theology behind career and work, and then we're going to jump into our text. So before we do, let's uh, just ask God to speak. God, we pray uh, that you would speak to our hearts uh, through this text this morning. Uh, God, we uh, pray you'd watch over my words. God, that you would minister and, uh, and bless and do what you want to do during this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We spent a lot of time working. Uh, about a third of our life and about half of our waking hours are spent working. About 2,000 hours per year and about 90,000 hours of your life. And this is kind of for the average person. And this is just work that you go to work to get paid for. This doesn't include chores and all that other work that we have to do around the house and work at the church and all these. We spend a lot of time working. And so this is a really important topic when it comes to work. Uh, because God isn't separate from our work. Uh, we spend lots of lots of time working. Uh, and sometimes we wonder, you know, how does God fit into my work? Uh, sometimes some people think that God doesn't fit into their work. That, you know, God is about church and God is about small groups and God is about when I'm reading the Bible. When I go to work, God has nothing to do with that because, you know, why would he have anything to do with my career? Others think that uh, make their career really becomes their God. Uh, where their work is ahead of everything. Their work is ahead of connecting with Jesus. Their work is ahead of church. Their work is ahead of connecting with their family. Their work is their God. They get their identity and their value and their worth from their job. They just live and breathe their career. 
and if their career falls through, they fall apart because they've, you know, created their career and made it into uh, their God. Uh, the scriptures tell us, however, that actually God has wired us for work. That God isn't distant from our work. God is very much involved in our work. Now, our work isn't to be our God because, again, that passage we read tells us that Christ is our life. We get our life and identity from Christ, and we take that into our workplace, and God is very much involved. Uh, God has wired us for work, and work is a good thing. Now, our culture a lot of times says the opposite thing. A lot of times we look at jobs and, and our career kind of as a necessary evil. You know, I got to go to work because I got to pay the bills, and it's kind of this necessary evil in my life, but the rest of my life is fun, but work is horrible. Uh, often in our culture, retirement is the goal. I want to retire early so I can get out of work, because again, work is kind of seen as this evil, horrible thing that we got to put up with, even though we spend half of our life doing it, so I can get to this final goal of retirement. Uh, or relaxation and vacation is the goal. Again, that work is this bad thing, relaxation and vacation, that's what we're living for. And so, again, a third to half of our life is written off kind of as this horrible, awful thing that we got to do. And we got that phrase, you know, thank God it's Friday. I can actually start living now. I can actually, uh, you know, do what I'm meant to be doing. And that's relaxing and doing nothing or doing house chores because that's work too. But the Bible actually tells us that God has wired us for work and he has wired us for career and that work is actually a very good thing. We see Jesus in John 5. Uh, Jesus said, my father is working until now, and I too am working. I mean, if work were an evil thing, uh, that wouldn't work. Because Jesus is pure. He's pure good. He's pure love. He is, he is the ideal human life. I mean, and he worked. He worked most of his years as a carpenter and last three years in ministry. Both of those things are very kingdom. Uh, it's a good thing. God the Father, I mean, created the heavens and the earth. That is work that is creating. Work is a good thing because God himself does uh, work. Uh, we see in Genesis chapter 1, it said God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And this involves work, to fill the earth and to subdue. And this word subdue means to create, to take the resources, to build them, uh, to invest in the planet. To, 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 it's to work. And this was in a perfect world. This is before uh, mankind fell and God put humans to work. This is part of being in the image of God. As God created the heavens and the earth, he has wired us to work. And this is why often humans are at their best when they're working. And this is why, you know, sometimes when people have too much vacation, you know, husbands and wives start getting angry at each other. And I mean, we're, we're made to work. Work is actually a good thing. And also in Genesis chapter 2, the Lord God took the man, placed him in the orchard in the Eden to care for it and maintain it. Uh, God could have taken care of the garden himself, uh, but he asked man to do it. He, again, this is before the fall, and so work is not a result of sin, and work is not a necessary evil. And so if we think that, again, we've got to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. That is not biblical thinking. 
to think that work is evil and awful and a necessary evil and just something horrible that I got to do in my life. No, it's actually a kingdom thing. Work is a good thing. God has wired you for work. And it doesn't mean you have to be doing work that is paid, volunteer work or ministry work or all those kinds of kinds of work that you do get paid. That's all work, not just paid work. But it's not a result of sin, nor is it a necessary evil. Now, our work has been affected by sin. That's true. We're no longer living in a perfect world anymore. In Genesis 3, it says, the ground is cursed because of you. And it's the fall of man and the work of sin and Satan. All your life, you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat it of its grains. By the sweat of your brow, you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. That all of our work, because of the fall, is, is tainted with thorns and thistles. In other words, there is no perfect job out there. <laughs> I mean, there are better jobs that may fit your gifts. There's more exciting jobs than others. But every single job, no however beautiful you think it is, is going to be filled with thorns and thistles. And some people will keep jumping from career to career to job to job, hoping to find this perfect job where there will be no problems. And there's just no such thing. <laughs> Every single job, every single position of where you volunteer, every single thing you do, even if you just go out and garden, there's thorns and thistles in all of our work. Uh, it's been affected by sin. And so one part of our mind knows that work is a good thing and God call, called us to work and we should be working somewhere, doing something with our time and our energy. But we also know it's been affected by the fall. And so when we have a bad day at work, it doesn't mean that work is just evil. It means my work that is good has been affected by the fall. And sometimes we can have really, really bad days at work. I mean, I remember when I was uh, serving as a mechanic before I was a pastor. I mean, I had bad days at work, you know. I remember once I was backing this customer's vehicle out of the, out of the shop and I had a turn I just smashed the whole side of this van. I mean, that's a bad day when you wreck the customer's car, right? It's a bad day. And I have bad days in, as a pastor too because I got to work with people and we're all messy and we're all thorns and thistles. And sometimes I'm a thorn and a thistle in your side and sometimes you're in, in my side, right? But all work has been affected by the fall. And so we need to be careful about just running from our job because it's hard because every job is filled with thorns and thistles. Now, sometimes you need to move from a job. Sometimes you need to quit a job because uh, sometimes it's just, it's just, you know, God is calling you elsewhere or you feel the Holy Spirit's moving you on or uh, there are issues that can't be resolved or whatever it might be. Work is a good thing, but it's also been affected by the fall. And also, when it comes to kingdom theology around work, uh, every single job is a kingdom job. At least every job that, that is good in terms of not like if you're a, a drug dealer or a, you know, a pimp or something like that. Those aren't kingdom jobs. But uh, if it's, it's a kingdom ideal, I mean, every job is a kingdom job. Martin Luther challenged this in his day where in his day the Roman Catholic Church would say that if you really wanted to live life, if you really wanted to be close to God, if you really wanted to be spiritual, you needed to be a pastor or a priest or a monk. All other jobs were kind of low. God didn't really like them very much. And he challenged that idea and brought the scriptures back to, uh, into the church. Uh, it says, Luther said this, It is pure invention that pope, bishop, priests, and monks are all called to be the spiritual estate. 
princes, lords, artisans, and farmers, the temporal estate. That, indeed, a fine, uh, that is indeed a fine bit of lying and hypocrisy. Yet no one should be frightened by it. And for this reason, all Christians are truly of the spiritual estate. And there is among them no difference at all but that of office. In other words, God calls us to different places. Uh, we're all his royal priests. And you can be a royal priest as a pastor. You can be a royal priest as a carpenter. You can be a royal priest at a gas station. You can be a royal priest uh, working in your garden at home or whatever it might be. That all jobs are kingdom. And all jobs are good. And God can work in those things uh, and whatever the career is. Uh, Tim Keller put it this way, Christians cannot look down on labor involving more intimate contact with the material world. Caring for and cultivating this material world has worth, even if it means cutting the grass. This also means that secular work has no less dignity and nobility than, that, than the sacred work of ministry. Amen. That both are needed, both are worthy, both are serving people. In fact, to put one kind of job below and somehow make another job more so-called spiritual, I mean, God, you read through the Psalms, is a gardener. You see him talking about, uh, you know, uh, working in the garden of this world and, and planting things and watering. He created this world, which is a material world. He created the heavens and the earth. And this is God, who is the most spiritual being in the universe. And so if you have a job that you might kind of, this is kind of a not doing much in this world kind of job, I mean, you are a child of God. You are a priest. And that is a very spiritual work that you are doing, uh, especially when it's involved in uh, caring for others. Uh, if I miss the goodness of work and only think work is a necessary evil, you will, you'll tend to fall in these traps. Uh, the first one is that I just have to endure, endure my job. You know, I go to work and then I check out for eight hours and I get home, and maybe I can check back in. If you just think you have to endure your job, you're going to miss out on what God wants to do in and through you. I mean, you're a royal priest even at work. And you're a priest wherever you are uh, and wherever you're serving, uh, God wants to use you. And so it's not just to endure. God wants to do stuff at work. Uh, secondly, you'll take jobs that you're not suited for or enjoy but pay well. Because the only reason for work, it's not a good thing, it's a necessary evil. The only reason I work is to make money. So I'll just take the job that pays the most money, even though I hate it, and I'm miserable all day, because really the only purpose of work is money. Work also involves how you've been wired, how God has created you to be, uh, where your passions lie. Uh, do you know how God has shaped you? Because that's probably the best place for you to be. Now, you can't always be there right away. Sometimes you got to work your way or take school or whatever it might be. Uh, but we can make the mistake of just taking jobs that only pay well, but we don't enjoy. In fact, studies show that 50% of people don't like their jobs. I mean, that's 90,000 hours a year that are miserable. Uh, Oh, I didn't get them all here. Uh, number three, uh, you'll rather choose employment if other work you think is under you. I mean, if you have this idea that there's certain work that's greater in the spiritual world than others, or uh, you get your value from your work, and you get out of work, you'll say, well, I'm not going to work at McDonald's because that's just below me. But we when you understand that all work has dignity, value, and worth, that all work is a good thing, 
then you're able, even if you're in a tight position, to take a job that is so-called beneath you because you know whatever you're doing, even if it's mowing the grass, there is value, dignity, and worth even in that kind of position. And number four, you will totally miss out on what God wants to do in and through you at work if you only think it's necessary evil. Which is eight hours you got to get through or 10 hours, you just got to get through it so you can actually, you know, finally get to whatever you think is more important. God wants to do stuff in and through you at work. I mean, our mission to love Jesus and love people can be just as easily carried out in your workplace as it can when we're at church. I love what uh, Dr. Greg Mitchell said. He said, architects, engineers, and tradespeople create space for people to live and work together. Talking about how we love other people through our work. Internet, phone, and paper companies help us communicate. Parents work to raise relationally healthy children. Plumbers create system of waste removal so that we can live in a community. Food and health industries help us live and thrive. Very helpful for relationship. Clothing companies decrease social embarrassment. <laughs> Charities serve the needy. Governments bring order and peace. When noble, uh, what, uh, when, or what this should be, what noble activities are these? All labor is redeemed when uh, it supports relationship. Because part of our mission is to love people. That all jobs somehow are supporting relationship and building the community and, 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 and blessing others. He goes on to say, on the other hand, if our motives are selfish... Our hard work is relationally meaningless and potentially idolatrous. This means that what makes work meaningful is less about what we do and mostly about why we do it. It's one of the ways you can transform your workplace and how you work and even how you enjoy work. When you focus more on why I'm doing this and less on what I'm doing, because you may not necessarily like what you're doing, but you can see why you're doing this it's partly to bless others. It's to serve God. As Luther used to say, God is milking the cow through the, through the handmaiden. Uh, God is doing stuff through you. I mean, this kingdom idea that work is actually a good thing. Filled with thorns and thistles. Uh, I mean, there's difficult things we've got to work through. Uh, but it's helpful in our overall mission. Now, going to our text, uh, people in the day of Jesus, and Paul worked as well. And the text that we're looking at today deals with work, and it's framed in the setting of slaves and masters. This was a third of the Roman Empire were slaves. And so when Paul was reading this in the church, there would be masters in the church, there would be slaves in the church. And, uh, and so first of all, we've got to talk about this idea of masters and slaves, because sometimes we read that in the text, and all of a sudden we go, I don't see anywhere in this text where Paul says masters Set your slaves free. So why is that? What is this deal with slavery, uh, masters and slaves in, in the Bible? First thing we got to note is that words or our feelings behind words change over time. You know the word silly used to mean worthy or blessed? Uh, so, you know, if you're trying to hit on someone, you could say, wow, you're really silly. Uh, wouldn't work today. Uh, Awful actually used to meant worthy of awe, which makes sense, right? I mean, you could say to your wife, that was an awful dessert, and it would be a good thing. Today, not so much. Uh, 
Words are influenced by our culture. They're influenced by our experiences. One word can mean a good thing to one person and a horrible thing to another person. They, they change over time. And this idea of slaves and masters, for most of us, would have a different connotation in our mind than it would back in Paul's day. I mean, when we think of that word, we would tend to think of sort of the 19th century, you know, American slavery, the African slave trade, you know, a very race-based kind of slavery. And it's what we think of when we, and so we say, well, Paul, why didn't you tell masters to set their slaves free? Because we think this way. And when we think this way, it can be dangerous. And uh, there are people who play off this, such as uh, the American Atheist Society uh, put up this billboard uh, a few years ago. Slaves obey your masters and quotes a Bible verse. And it says, This lesson in Bronze Age Ethics brought to you by the Year of the Bible in the House of Representatives. Playing off how we kind of define this word. Masters and slaves, it was was different. Don't think 19th century slavery because it was different. Now there's some similarities, but for the most part it it was different. Now if we read our way of thinking back into the text, we're going to read this text wrong. They had no idea about 19th century slavery when Paul wrote this. They only understood what they understood. And so we need to go back to what they thought when uh, they were reading this text. There's been an awesome work by Scott Brady on slavery in the New Testament. He says this, uh, racial factors played no role. This is true. It was not race-based at all. Uh, Today, or in parts of the world, or especially 19th century slavery, is very race-based. Uh, Racial factors played no role. Education was greatly encouraged. Uh, Some slaves were better better educated than their owners. Uh, Doctors were often slaves, teachers, administrators, sea captains. Some of these people had amazing positions of authority. And and, uh, some people actually think that Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, was maybe a slave at one time. Uh, Which enhanced the slave's value. Many slaves carried... um, are sensitive and highly responsible, carried out, I should say, sensitive and highly responsible social functions. Slaves could own property, including other slaves. Uh, If they earned enough money to, you know, purchase someone to help with their needs, they could do that. Their religious and cultural traditions were the same as those of the freeborn. No law prohibited public assembly of slaves. And perhaps above all, the majority of urban and domestic slaves could legitimately anticipate being uh, emancipated or set free by the age of 30, and most of them would be. They would earn enough money to set themselves free. Often slavery was voluntary, you would voluntarily, voluntarily hand yourself over to be a slave. If you had debts to pay off, you needed money to earn or whatever it might be, you would uh, sell yourself as a slave, earn enough money to pay off your debts and buy your freedom, and then you'd be set free. Slavery in biblical days was more close to our relationship between employees and employers than closer to the 19th century American slavery we see uh, or have heard about. Now, there were definitely abuses, And there are abuses even with our own system of bosses and employees today. I mean, sometimes bosses treat their employees as slaves. There were definite abuses because underlying sort of the Greek philosophy, Aristotle, for instance, wrote, for master and slave have nothing in common. A slave is a living tool just as a tool is an inanimate slave. And so there were lots of abuses as well. 
um, just as there are lots of abuses in this workplace. Now, the question is, why doesn't Paul or Jesus clearly state slavery is wrong? Why do we see in this text, you know, masters, you shouldn't own a slave. Uh, Why doesn't Jesus say that anywhere? Well, if you ask that kind of question, you might end up in the wrong spot because you can say that about a lot of things. Why doesn't Jesus or Paul say, don't rape anyone? Why doesn't Paul say, you know, don't molest a child? I mean, I mean, there's some things that aren't said, but are said a hundred times in other ways, all throughout the scriptures. I mean, if somehow you can say, well, Paul didn't say you shouldn't rape someone, therefore it's okay, somehow you really have a twisted mind or you certainly don't understand Jesus in the kingdom. And the same with this. Uh, just because Paul didn't say it in this text, to con- come to this conclusion that somehow it's okay, you're ignoring hundreds of other texts. And sadly, during the sort of the dark days of slavery, like in the U.S., there were people and churches who used verses like this and said, we, it's not, Paul didn't say not Owen, so it's okay. And this is where that darkness in us can begin to twist verses for our own power and our own privilege. And this is why it's important to be in a community where we keep each other accountable because sometimes we can get led astray if we really want something. And that can happen where people take the kingdom out of, of context. The other reason is Jesus tended and Paul tended to begin with the heart. We don't see Jesus arguing and protesting for political reform in his day. We don't see him arguing and protesting for the government to change. He worked within people's hearts. Now again, as a side note, some people say, well, we don't ever see Jesus or Paul, you know, protesting for political reform, so Christians shouldn't be really involved in government, or Christians shouldn't protest for political reform. Well, the governments were very different from then and now. Back then, you didn't have a voice no matter what. (laughs) Even if you had a protest, you wouldn't have a voice. Today, our governments are at least hopefully different. I mean, we are somewhat of a democracy, and so we, we tend to do have a voice. And so there is a role for Christians to lobby the government and, and ask for change. But we don't see that in Bible days because their government wasn't even open to that. They worked from the heart because Jesus knew if you could change the heart, you change the actions, you change a country. Matthew 15 says, from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. From the heart comes this idea that I want to own a slave and have power over somebody. So if I can change the heart, I'm going to change the world. And this was the direction that Paul and Jesus moved in, changing the heart. Now, sadly, uh, slavery is still very much a part of our world. In fact, more so than uh, it has been. There are an estimated 40.3 million slaves in the world today. People who are owned by other humans, mostly for forced labor and sex trafficking in the pornography industry. Uh, people who, and so this is very much still a, pro, a problem. And this is why we can't ignore this as Christians uh, because this is something that continually needs to be fought on. And thankfully, throughout Pretty much all history, the people who have lobbied to end slavery have been primarily Christians. And there are some amazing organizations. I know Dean works with, and, and Abby works with International Justice uh, Mission uh, Mysteries that uh, works in this area, trying to free modern-day slaves. is very much an issue. And so part of the kingdom is this idea that we don't own people. We're not above others. And we see this applied in this text. 
Again, if we go back to Ephesians chapter 5, we go back, this whole text again, we've been over this a few times, it's talking about being filled with the Spirit. And one of the uh, results of being filled with the, the Spirit is a willingness to submit to one another. And then we talked how Paul talks about how husbands and wives submit to one another. We talked about how parents and children submit together uh, to, to one another. And also Paul is saying that slaves and masters are actually to submit to one another. That if you think you're filled with the Holy Spirit, then slaves and masters will submit to one another. And it goes like this. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. This is how slaves or employees submit to their bosses or their employers. And then notice what he says. And masters, treat your slaves the same way. I mean, just think how radical that would have been in that day. Masters, I want you to treat your slaves in the same way that you want to be treated. This is bringing the kingdom into this broken cultural system. This is bringing change in this cultural system where the heart would change and therefore systems would change. This is, in essence, the, the golden rule. In everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. So masters... You know, Paul would be saying in his day, this is so much part of our culture. A third of our empire is, 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 are, are slaves in the system that's broken. Masters, I want you to treat this, your slaves the same way you want to be treated. Bringing this, this heart change in. Now also, Paul is reminding them in this text that masters actually don't own their slaves. Because both master and slave are actually owned by the same person, and that is God. That's what he says in here. He says to slaves, but you're actually slaves of Christ. And then he says to masters, he, that's God, who is both their master and yours in heaven. In other words, you both are slaves to the same person, and that is Jesus. Again, bringing this mutual submission into this text. The Bible tells us that everyone in the kingdom is of the privileged class. And so, sadly, throughout church history, sometimes Christians even taught that there's sort of this privileged class or, you know, white supremacy or there are certain groups that are better than others. Uh, this is not kingdom. In Galatians 3, it says, In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor their male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That we're all of the privileged class. That we are not to look down on others and say, well, you're less privileged because of your race, or you're less privileged because of your job, or less privileged because of, of your background or what you're struggling with. We are all of the privileged class because we're privileged in Christ. And this is, if you go back earlier into Ephesians, this is what it says. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're a saint. You're blessed with every spiritual blessing. You're united with Christ. You are loved and chosen. You are without fault in his eyes. You're adopted into God's family. You're giving God pleasure. You're full of God's grace. You are free. You're forgiven. You're showered in God's kindness. And this would include everyone who is sitting in the church, uh, who is following Jesus. The Bible talks against this in James chapter 2. He says, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus must not show favoritism. 
Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or you sit on the floor by my feet or you have to go to the back of the bus or you sit on the other side of the restaurant or you can't not welcome into this church. Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Notice he said this is an evil thought <laughs> because we're all of the privileged class in, in the kingdom. It talks about this in 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, Just as a body, the one has many parts, but all of its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentiles, slave or free, and we are all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Again, everyone is needed. Everyone is valued. Everyone has value, dignity, and worth in the kingdom. And this is what he's teaching in this passage on on mutual submission. All right, let's just finish quickly with this. We'll kind of bring this into sort of the modern world a little bit. So he says, employees, and obey your earthly employers with respect and fear. And this word fear kind of means like uh, with honor, with humility, uh, just as you would obey Christ. And so if you're working for somebody, God is wanting you to obey that person like you're obeying Jesus. Now again, remember last week we talked about levels of authority? If our boss tells us to lie or our boss tells us to rip somebody off, those kind of things we say, you know, I have a higher allegiance to the king and he can't ask me to do that. But if it's within kingdom realm, then you obey them like you're obeying Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor, uh, which is a good thing, uh, win their eyes on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Then he says, serve wholeheartedly as if you are serving the Lord, not people. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. That God, when he sees you working hard at your job, is going to reward you. And rewards are a big thing because Jesus talked a lot about them. And so when the boss leaves, you don't just kind of slow down and sit on your shovel or whatever it might be because the boss isn't there. Your true boss is there. And so whether your boss is there or not, the Bible says you honor and respect and you work as if you're working for Jesus. And it's good to keep in mind because it says as if you are serving the Lord. So whoever you're serving, it's good to pretend they're Jesus. So if you're a waiter or waitress, you serve that table, just imagine that Jesus is at that table. You serve them like Jesus is there. If you're building a house, you're building that house like Jesus is the owner of that house. Uh, you're, you know, engineering something for a company, you're engineering that like you're doing that for Jesus. Uh, whatever your job is, we are to live and to breathe and to act like I'm doing that for Jesus. Because Jesus talked about this. You remember what he said? The king will reply, truly I tell you, Whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. You know what the Bible said? Uh, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What can I do out of reverence for you? Serve that table in that restaurant like Christ is sitting there. Build that house like you're building it for Jesus. Because whatever you are doing 
for that person or your boss you're doing for Jesus because that's just the way God has wired things. Teaching us to love each other as we love Jesus. And that should be carried out in, in our workplaces. Uh, and so he says that. And then he goes, turns to employers. And uh, so bosses, you're to treat your slaves in the same way. And so if you own a company or you have employees below you, you want to treat them like you want to be treated. Put yourself in those shoes. If you're able, you should pay them what you would hope to be paid if you were in that job. Uh, you should be generous as a boss the way you hope that if you had a boss, it would be generous towards you. Because again, you're not the boss of your company, even though you think you are. You have a greater boss, and his name is Jesus. There's no difference here. I mean, sometimes people think the pastor is kind of in charge of the church. I'm not in charge of this church. I have a boss, and his name is Jesus. Jesus is the senior pastor of this church, not me. And if you own a company or a business, uh, you got to look to Jesus as the one in charge. And so you want to treat your employees uh, like you yourself want to be treated. And this is all the idea that Jesus is saying to us, you can live out your mission wherever you are. You don't just have to be doing something spiritual to be living out your mission. We do those things so we can be strengthened because we need strength. This world is broken and hard and difficult. But when we go out, we love Jesus and we love people on mission. Now next week, uh, we're going to do our next passage here and that is entering into the section on spiritual warfare and we're going to talk about this. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Uh, we are living in a world where it's just difficult. And a lot of times we feel we don't have a lot of strength to make it. It's interesting, when you read Paul, you read the stuff he went through. I think most people in Paul's position would have quit. But he kept going. We're going to talk about why and how we can do that in our own lives. And so I'm going to call the worship team. Let's pray as we uh, close our service. God, we uh, thank you that you are a good God. And God, this morning we just ask for your grace and blessing on our workplaces. Father, I pray that as employees, God, you would teach us uh, to respect those over us, to honor those over us. Uh, God, that you would help us to, uh, to serve those we're in contact with at work. Uh, God, like we're serving Jesus. And Father, if we're bosses and have employees under us, God, would you work in us to treat our employees well, to treat them as we would want to be treated. Uh, so God, we just pray strength upon us. We pray blessing. We pray hope over us during this week. Uh, God, that as we close our service, that you would minister by your Holy Spirit. God, that you would touch us where we need to be touched. In Jesus' name, amen.